This podcast is brought to you by Knowledge at Wharton. You're listening to Knowledge at Wharton on Business Radio, Sirius XM 111. Here again is Dan Lomi. Welcome back. Hour number two of Knowledge at Wharton here on Sirius XM 111 Business Radio, powered by the Wharton School. Thanks for spending part of your day with us. There is a a concern in this country that some policy decisions being made at the federal level are are not always using the evidence that is collected by people at the state and local level. And the impact of these moves can have a wide range of impact on a variety of sectors, including things like housing, health, and education. Recently, the Penn Wharton Public Policy Initiative held a conference to try and reinforce the importance of relying on data collected when making a variety of these decisions. Dennis Culhane is a professor at Penn's School of Social Policy and Practice, co-principal investigator for the Actual Intelligence for Social Policy and director of research for the National Center for Homelessness Amongst Veterans. And he joins us here in the studio to discuss this. Good seeing you again. Thank you for coming in. Thank you. Uh, So in terms of this, this lack of use of data, how frequent of a problem do you think it is right now? Well, the government collects reams and tons of data on a daily basis, um, mostly as part of the transactions, the business transactions of the different programs they fund and operate. Uh, But they're not usually using these data uh, except for the standard audit and compliance kind of uh, requirements. Right. Um, So it represents a a really undervalued, underused asset on its own. Um, But the power grows in dimensions when you are able to combine them across different agencies, linking them at the individual or a family level, so you can get a much bigger, richer, and deeper picture. And as I said, this ranges so many different sectors that you could be having a significant impact where it's either A, saving lives, B, saving finance, you know, and those are just two of the top areas. Absolutely. Um, Probably a third of the total federal budget is social spending of this sort. Um, and even a little more than that. And so there's a tremendous amount of opportunity there because the the amount of resources being spent and where many efficiencies can still be attained as well as just better outcomes and better programs. Let's take it for a second and take it in more specifically. When you think about healthcare, and the healthcare is obviously one of the largest spends that we have in this country right now, and the link in with, with some of the social programs that we have in there, we're talking about what percentage that could be could be saved or moved to other areas if you really looked at the data and, and kind of worked off of what you know what those assumptions would be. So every state now realizes that when it comes to Medicaid, as an example, sixty five percent of the total expenditures are attributable to just five percent of the clients. So a very small mm-hmm. proportion of the insured population accounts for two thirds of the expenditure. And a significant part of that is not really primarily health-related, but it's social factors related. These are people who have complex, vulnerable lives, and uh, they can be homeless. They can be people who are in and out of jail frequently. They can be people who um, 
are you know coming out of long term incarceration, yeah. and uh, these folks have lots of social needs that the healthcare system ends up having to deal with, but which could be more proactively and better and more affordably addressed through other social programs. And the idea that that you brought forward in uh, the conference that was done here involves the idea of an integrated data system. And it's not necessarily the uh, an IT project. Right. It is literally using the data that is in front of you in the best and most effective ways, correct? That's right. So a lot of these agencies, well, the, all of these agencies collect data, but they don't share it with each other. Yeah. Uh, there's a lot of legal barriers. There's a lot of perceived legal barriers, I should say, because uh, although there's federal laws that restrict certain sharing of information, it's always been permissible to share data for evaluation purposes, for planning purposes, for what are considered sort of usual business, routine business practices. Uh, So what we're we're doing in this effort is we're helping states that are interested in trying to make this step forward. We're helping them to get the process in order, get the legal agreements in place, and sort of just overcome the barriers that seem to be um, always put in front of them by their own legal staff in many cases. And, and so that was the the gist of doing this in the first place was to kind of start to try and tear down some of those walls and, and build out the better relationships so that you can cure a lot of these issues. Yeah, ultimately, this is a problem about um, it, it's not so much the data issues that are, are, are difficult. It's right. the human, the people issues the policies and procedures of the agencies. And effectively, if, if, if there's a desire to go forward and there's political leadership, um, you can put the team together. And our experience has been that a state can get up and running with the more evidence-informed uh, integrated data system in about 18 months. These are probably some of the, the, the barriers to getting some of these things done are, are policies that have been or perceived policies have been in place for probably several decades now, correct? Oh, yes. Oh, yes. And the the technology was always perceived to be a barrier as well. Well, it was never as easy as it is now to to share data in a secure way. Because the the main concern, of course, is that no agency wants their data to get redisclosed. Where there's, you know, very sensitive information about patients, students, uh, social service clients, etc. And so... uh, you know, it had we've but we've come to a place where there's actually a lot of uh, security and approaches to anonymization of the data to the people who are handling the data that protects it in, in a much uh, stronger way than was possible before. But you allude to uh, the fact that I guess there has been at least conversation of trying to eliminate some of these barriers at the federal uh, level. Uh, Paul Ryan has been involved in a in a uh, in a in a conference as well, correct? So there was a recent evidence-based policy commission that was uh, formed uh, through federal legislation sponsored by Paul Ryan and Patty Murray. Yeah, and that. A commission, the Evidence-Based Policy Commission, concluded their work in September of last year, and they put out a report with various recommendations. And the the focus of the report was to essentially figure out how to unlock all of this data so it could be leveraged and used to inform the evidence base for social programs. And one of the recommendations was the creation of a federal data enclave, mm-hmm. uh, a center where federal agency records could be linked together in a secure way and analyzed to inform policy. So that's one of the key recommendations that's on the table right now. So be able to have one location where all this data is housed and every federal organization can be able to get in securely, take what they need, come back out, 
and probably be able to connect with, with other federal agencies to be able to cure some of these issues. That's right. Well, the, the data does not come out. The data okay. would go in, right. and the analysis is done inside the secure enclave. Okay. Uh, so Because what agencies fear is that their data is going to get shipped out okay. all around and that they'll lose control. So uh, that is one of the key uh, provisions. And at a state and local level, that's what we're also doing. We work with the state governments and county governments to build their own versions of these enclaves. We are joined here in studio by Dennis Culhane uh, of the University of Pennsylvania and the School of Social Policy and Practice. Your comments uh, at 844-WHARTON, 844-942-7866. Or if you'd like, send us a comment via Twitter, either at BizRadio111 or my Twitter account, which is at DanLoney21. Uh, you talk about a couple of different examples, one at the state level being the Massachusetts homelessness issue as well, being a way to be able to try and affect change in that state in dealing with the homelessness issue. Oh, yeah. I mean, they, the homelessness issue and the opioid crisis, they're oh, pretty God, common. Yeah. Like all across yeah. the country, um, states are struggling with this, and it's a high-priority issue. And, I mean, take the opioid crisis for a minute in the sense that it's a public health emergency. And yet a lot of the data that states would need to try to be more proactive uh, with regard to, you know, identifying where to be intervening, um, looking for triggers that they could, you know, where they can see over-prescribing, for example. Yeah. Those data are not readily accessible and can't be sort of deployed for an emergency purpose. And <laughs> um, But Massachusetts is one of nine states that recently undertook a major effort to link their data to better inform the opioid crisis response. And it was one of the motivators for Massachusetts to get involved in building an integrated data system because they saw that, you know, it took them nine months just to construct the legal agreement. You know, for an emergency project, which is is not that long at all when you think about the process of of putting an agreement like that together. Right, but if they wanted to do it again next year, they'd have to go through the process all over again because oh. they didn't create a systematic approach to that. So that's really what an integrated data system is: is that it creates a systematic process so a request can come in, can be processed within ninety days, and the data. You know, uh, agreements executed and the data put aside and analyzed. But, you know, so you don't want to reduce this, you know, usual year to year and a half long time down to, you know, 90 days. How many can. how many states have done or at least considering this type of a, a, of an approach right now? So there's about eight states that currently have one of these integrated data systems. And we are in the process of bringing another 13 states through that um, implementation process yeah. as well. So we will be well over 50%, a little over the 50% of the U.S. population will reside in a state where there's an integrated data system by the end of 2019. Are you, are you even at this point, able to start to gauge what the impact is on those early states and what you hope the, the impact will be when those other states come online? So there have been a couple states that have been doing this for in excess of 30 years. Okay. Wow. So there, there is a playbook, if you will. There is a system built to scale that we can look at and say, oh, this is what it looks like, a mature system that's 30 years out there. Being, so, being where? State being of Washington okay. is, the, is one, and state of South Carolina. Okay. Uh, those are the two that have been around the longest, and both of them employ you know, 50, 60 full-time employees. Uh, so they have staff with economists, demographers, social scientists, of, uh, some with domain knowledge and education, healthcare, etc. Uh, and, you know, they do literally dozens of projects every year that inform a smarter state government. Uh, <laughs> and, you know, it's they have on their websites many, many, you know, 
documents you know, showing the publication of their work. So then why is it that you think that, and you said with Washington and South Carolina, they have obviously been doing this for quite some time. Why, what has been the barrier though for the states or the local level to just go ahead and do this, especially if you've seen a positive impact from Washington and South Carolina over the last few decades? Well, first, it, the easiest thing is to say no. If you're a lawyer, a general counsel at an agency, and someone says we want to share data, the easiest thing is to say no, we can't do it. Yeah. We can't do it safely. Yeah. Uh, and uh, and But to actually say yes, to commit to have to get involved in the process means having to, you know, write an agreement, um, go through the negotiations. It's time-consuming, and it's, it's it adds to the workload of people who are already pretty busy. Uh, so unless there's a, a big priority put on it by senior leadership, it tends to get put to the side, and, you know, one year, two years can pass, and then, you know, new people come in and, and the priority's lost. So it's hard to sustain the momentum sometimes. But as you said uh, a little while ago, there are laws on the books, federal laws, about data sharing. And I, I think the perception of a lot of people is, and, and again, in kind of this world we live in, about the protection of the data, that there there wouldn't even be these laws on the books in the first place. But you, you dispute that with the, the actual proof. So the two laws most people might have heard of are HIPAA and FERPA. Yeah. Yeah. So HIPAA relates to healthcare information and FERPA is education data. Yeah. Uh, both of them have provisions for the sharing of these records for routine business activities. Uh, That's sort of the the originating federal legislation calls them. So that can include evaluation and research and planning and things of this nature. So there is the proviso that these data can be shared securely uh, because obviously there has to always be the protection, both physical mm-hmm. and technical protection of the data, and you can't redisclose any identifying information sure. about individuals. Yeah. It has to be aggregate statistical information at the end of the day that is produced. Uh, and so, yes, under both FERPA and HIPAA, it is permissible to do this. And, um, and the, there's been clear guidance, by the way. FERPA put out uh, a new guidance document just last year with the Department of Education, rather, I should say, put out guidance last year explaining to states and local governments how they can do this legally and comply with FERPA. And that sort of settled a lot of questions that were out there. Dennis Colhane of the University of Pennsylvania joining us. We're talking about the uh, the recent uh, a conference that they did about uh, evidence-based uh, data being shared by uh, organizations. You're listening to Knowledge at Wharton here on Sirius XM 111 Business Radio, powered by the Wharton School. So is the expectation then that, that we will be able to have most of the states online here in the next few years with the successes we've seen and Obviously, as you alluded to before, the the ease at times of being able to share a lot of this data because of the technology that we now possess. So the first goal is for these states to be able to just share information within their own within agency to agency because right. that doesn't happen. Right. right? So that the, that's the first thing that people have to accomplish and see what's you know what they can learn from all of that because there's a tremendous amount that's there. Once you see uh, that that process is going to be in place, there will be, I think, more procedures for external researchers to be able to come in and propose projects that are of high value. Uh, And so we do see in the more advanced states already that they do they have relationships with academic researchers, faculty from business schools and social science programs and where, you know, they're able to bring their their data and link it up into these enclaves and, and research centers and where they can inform 
you know, what the policymaking process is as well. What about with with state to state and the sharing of data? And, you know, when you think about from a regional perspective, something that may be impacting the, you know, the Pacific Northwest. Obviously, you mentioned Washington State. What about the sharing of data with Oregon or Idaho or, you know, uh, states in that area? So already in law enforcement, there's a lot of sharing of data, mostly through the FBI. But that's for, you know, that's a different immediate operational purpose. Uh, The data which are being shared on a regional way most commonly are the earnings records uh, because states need to know just from a tax collections point of view if residents in one state are working in a bordering state, for example. Um, So there's already agreements in regional uh, areas for states to share data, Um, but we're increasingly seeing interest in doing comparative studies across these states. Uh, And and the platforms that are being created for these integrated data systems should enable that. And then you're talking about also, I, I mean, I was thinking specifically about healthcare. I mean, when you're talking about some of the things that impact the people of, and again, I'll use the, the, the Pacific Northwest, the people of Washington State in comparison to the people of Oregon, there may be similarities where, you know, X, Y, and Z may be basically the same impact, and you may be able to solve the problem, you know, between the two states. Sure. And every state, even if they can say, oh, Washington State has established that there's this pattern, uh, every state still wants to be able to do that with their own data because they have to f- still figure out you know, exactly where they're going to target these programs to change that or you know, to uh, improve upon a situation. Right. So uh, you, you can't just accept another state's analysis as you know, proof of how you're going to go forward. There still needs to sort of be the planning phase of it and then sort of an iterative approach uh, between the agencies on trying to sort of triangulate these populations that you're focusing on, figuring out ways to identify them and, and intervene. You mentioned we mentioned Massachusetts, but in terms of the the, the issue of housing in general, low income housing, how is that area being impacted by some of these now integrated data decisions? Well, affordable housing is a very big uh, problem, and especially on the West Coast. Um, yeah. We have, you know, yeah. the, the the homelessness numbers around the country have been declining for the last seven or eight years, except on the West Coast. And the problem just seems to be getting worse. There's all these encampments. Uh, and, you know, it's just it's it's polling is like the number one issue uh, among the voters because they just see it getting entrenched. Uh, and, you know, it's a complex mix of populations, about 40 percent of the people are actually coming out of institutions that the states and local governments administer. Mm. Jails, prisons, uh, treatment centers, hospitals, psychiatric hospitals, etc. So there are points of contact with the state and county that um, are actually quite expensive. A lot of taxpayer money is being spent. And then if people are not really being effectively managed or discharged, their discharge is not being managed properly uh, and they're not getting into housing placements, then they end up recycling back through that system and a significant proportion of the net costs of of these systems is attributable to people who are not getting adequate discharge services and housing. You mentioned county and I wanted to touch on that for a second anyway because when you think about the resources available 
obviously federal has you know massive amount of resources even though there still are mistakes being made and 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 the sharing of data not occurring probably as often as it probably should state level maybe a little bit less resource in many cases at the county level they don't even consider this option because the resources aren't there haven't been there and they, there's not even an expectation that they would be there so the the potential change at the county level in many cases at the ground floor where you're talking with you know your neighbor who is somebody being affected by this seemingly could be very important oh the the county level is crucial uh, because most states in the United States are administered. They're state-governed, but they're administered at a county level. Yeah. And the contracts that are let out, because you know, most of these services are administered under contract to different organizations. Yeah. And those are all the contracts between counties and the local provider organizations. And believe it or not, the, the contract represents the major management opportunity to set performance benchmarks, to <laughs> engage in a... You know, a conversation about what is the expectation and how do we go about improving the outcomes from these programs and improving the efficiencies of these programs. So you're correct. Where the rubber meets the road is where the counties under, you know, go under contract with these providers. And that's where the money gets spent and the services delivered. So doesn't that mean that you have to have that greater communication between the state and the county or even at times probably the federal and the county to make sure that the management of said programs is going well and to be able to get that data so that you can really parse what's what's going well and what's not. And yes, and, and the counties, believe it or not, actually usually have the data. Uh, the state, they collect the data with their providers, yeah. often through their providers, and the data go to the state because they're transmitted by the counties to the state. Sure. Uh, so actually, most counties don't need to get the data from the state, although it happens in some cases, in some agencies. Um, mostly, they just have to get permission to engage in this work, which is you know usually obtainable um, because ultimately the owner of the data might be the state, even if it's administered by the county. What is the hope then with the work that, that Paul Ryan and Patty Murray have been doing in terms of trying to uh, eliminate some of these walls that have been that have been put up there? You mentioned that you know they've they've done their report, which was September of last year. I think you said. I mean, obviously, there's a time to to parse through it and and actually get it to go. Is the hope that in the next year? Two years that we will be able to see an effective change with a lot of a lot of this communication. Well, there is pending legislation um, that uh, they're hoping to push through that would create this data enclave, uh, and there's also part of that legislation puts in place you know a, a, an intent that um, agencies have to share their data, uh, and they, unless they have a very firm legal reason for not doing so, um, so they're trying to make the you know, the, the valence, if you will, positive and less risk-averse yeah. for sharing data. Um, but the federal process is going to take some time, no matter what. State and local governments can move much more quickly because they're not – they don't have the same level of bureaucracy. Yeah. Um, they, you know, state leadership, governors, uh, commissioners and secretaries of state agencies have tremendous authority um, to make, you know, things happen. And so uh, – there's more nimble and faster development efforts going on at the state and local level. A lot of people say that about a variety of things, not just you know these areas where data is concerned, but getting other projects done as well that you can get done faster and probably at times more effective at the state and local level than you can at the federal level. But at this, and that's all true. Um, one 
important asset that the federal government will have is that they have certain data sets like the earnings data, which is probably, you know, the most important um, data set that many of these integrated data systems want access to because all, all these programs ultimately want to see that families and young people are achieving, they're getting jobs, they're yeah. paying taxes. Um, and so virtually all the social programs have as part of their goal self-sufficiency and people achieving. Well, you can't measure that unless you can link it up with earnings data. Right. And state-specific earnings data have several limitations. One, which we were just discussing, is that you know people who work in an adjacent state, you might not see that would not show sure. up necessarily. Yeah. But yeah. the other two important ones are federal employees and military. They are not in hmm. the state earnings records. And the only way you would pick those up is if you went to the federal, uh, you know, a version of the IRS data, essentially. So yeah. if this uh, federal data enclave, which, by the way, exists in a way already inside the Census Bureau. Yeah. There's been one there developing for some time. Um, if, if states and counties could have a, a standard procedure for porting over data sets that they're working on to evaluate to the federal and be linked to the federal earnings data, that would be hugely important and significant because that would give people a much fuller picture of what the employment outcomes are. Um, the other big federal, it's not a federal data set, it's privately held, but it's national in reach, is the National Student Clearinghouse, which is all college attendance and achievement. Yeah, right. Um, so, you know, these are the kinds of uh, national data sets that could be of tremendous use in evaluating these programs. Great seeing you again. Thank congratulations, you. For me. Congratulations on the work. For more insight from Knowledge at Wharton, please visit knowledge.wharton.upenn.edu. Thank you.